Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is December 14th, 2023, and we are blazing toward a finish in this year. Blazing! Blazing. We will waste no time in telling you the title of the sermon tonight. The title of the sermon is The Servant. The Servant. Somebody say The Servant. I got my hype man here. Come on. Look, my brother and I are very excited about this word, and we have quite a few things that we want to share with you guys. So in order to make the best use of our time, let's go ahead and pull up that first slide, the only slide from this past Sunday's message, the bride-to-be. So we have that first point, Israel is the bride of Christ. From Ephesians 1, the gospel is first for the Jew, then expresses the incorporation of the Gentiles through Messiah. The second point, the church is the first fruit of the Israeli bride that will come in fully at the national salvation of Israel. We get that from Ephesians 2 and 3, that it declares that the dividing wall of hostility has been removed and we have a job to do, ushering in the unification of the bride that is national Israel to her groom as the bride of Christ. And the third point, this is us, y'all. Our mysterious inclusion in the church is based upon our relationship to the Israeli groom as his body. And we get that from Ephesians 4 and 5. <clears throat> it illustrates our inclusion and job description that is based upon our experience with the Israeli groom. So a couple things we wanted to make note of as you're looking at this slide. First, our goal is not to reteach what you heard from Sunday. Our pastors did an incredible job at that. And second, our goal tonight is simply to take these three points and our personal engagement with them and hope to bless you with how we can mature with practical application in this revelation we've been given from Sunday. That's right. So listen up, because we know you guys and we're family, and we've been having a conversation with each other since Sunday. We know that you guys are still working through some of these things from Sunday, right? Can somebody be honest with us and say, hey, we are still working through this. Still working to wrap our mind around the revelation that God has given us. Even our pastors are working through it. That's a good thing. We're all growing. The Lord is refining us. So without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, we know that there are questions that are arising in your midst that you're working through. You can ask us how we know. But there are two things that we wanted to say to our family tonight as you're working to understand this revelation. The first is this. When you're working to understand a revelation that is given based from the word, know that the problem is never with what the word says. Rather, it is with your understanding. That is very, very important. That it's not the word that is at fault. It is our understanding. So say this with us. The problem is never the word. It is with my understanding of the word. Okay, now the second is this. In order to fully understand what you received on Sunday, catch this, humility is needed. Truth be told, LCM, you will not understand what is being preached from this pulpit and the revelation that is coming from the word and this body if your heart is not right to begin with. You have to humble yourself so that your heart can be in the right place in order to receive the revelation from the word. That is the the soft, noble heart that receives and retains and produces a crop. So that being said, we're going to jump straight into scripture. And you guys don't need to turn there. We're going to put it right on the screen. 
Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 36. It's something that we need to consider. It says, or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? So the reason we started off with these first two points, the, the understanding that the problem is never with the word of God, it's with our understanding. And second, in order to work through and understand and truly develop this revelation in our lives that we've been given from Sunday, that humility is needed. We really want to drive this point home because this is something that we need to hear as a body. The word of God did not originate with us. And with 2,000 years of preaching on this side of history, what we've done and we're so accustomed to is imposing our thoughts about what we think the word of God says versus what the word of God actually says. LCM, that's important. That we have, to be, we have to be able to humble ourselves to understand what the word says truly in the Peshat. So my brothers and sisters, we need to have a sober reality of where we were prior to Jesus and prior to the word of God being revealed to us. So Ephesians 2 is going to help us with this. We're going to go to Ephesians 2, chapter 11. And having heard what you already heard in the first five minutes of this sermon, you know already that we've been toiling over this just as much as you have. And we hope that you really have been challenged to get deep into the word. Yeah. If, if you do that with a humble, honest heart, you would go back to this scripture and it would help set things right for you. Verse 11 says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We can't stress this passage enough. When we are thinking about ourselves as Gentiles, we can't, we can't just easily move past us and say, oh, praise God, that's the way that it was. You have to let the gravity of this passage sit in on you. You are without God and without hope in the world. It would make you think about if you are coming into Christ, what would you do? What would your heart posture be? Yeah. Do you guys hear some of these descriptors about the Gentiles, meaning you and I? You're separated from Christ, alienated from Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The saints, that is heavy, and it should be heavy. Praise God for verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were, who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Man, praise God for verse 13. And if 11 and 12 showed us our state prior to Christ, then shouldn't we have the attitude of humility and heart posture to want the full revelation and counsel of God's word? Meaning, if we understand rightly verses 11 and 12, we were completely cut off. We didn't know what we didn't know, right? If we put ourselves in the illusion of the first time and you're hearing about Christ and you want to be in Christ, what would you do? What would your heart posture be? You don't know anything. You don't have Matthew through Revelation to rely on, do you? No. You don't even know. You may not even have known the Tanakh as a Gentile. Think about that. You don't know where to begin. So put yourself in that position. Okay. And we know you, LCM. We know that the answer is yes, that we want to have a full revelation and we want to have the right 
heart posture. So what we're going to do is we're going to follow the example that has been set before us by the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Who's like me who likes someone who set an example before them, a pattern before us? Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message, would catch this, great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So we are going to follow the example of our Berean Jewish brothers. Did you guys notice that these men heard Paul's message and they received it with eagerness? And it drove them to further study of the word? LCM, this is a fine example and a fine model for us to follow. To be able to receive the revelation with great eagerness and then to examine the scriptures of what you've heard every single day. This is beautiful. This helps to build consistency in our lives because we're called as ministers to mature into the full manhood of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, if we follow this example well, LCM, the Holy Spirit will open up our minds and our hearts to what we are searching out. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it is to the glory of kings to search it out. So when we were wrestling with this, not wrestling, but really reading through Acts chapter 17, we are thinking to ourselves, the Bereans received this, Paul, with great eagerness, and then they examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. Question, which scriptures were these Berean Jewish brothers looking at? Yeah, the Tanakh. So... Check this out. It means that they heard Paul's message and the revelation he had, and they received it with great eagerness, which then caused them to examine the Tanakh from the right end of the book. How about that, Chris? Isn't that helpful? Right? Like, who goes to Ikea and gets some furniture, right? You have to build a shelf, because this, this is a true story. And you... Uh, you get the instructions, Pastor Judah. I don't need these. I got it. Or let me just read the last page of the instructions, and I, I'm going to put everything together. Asad is laughing because he knows that's not possible. You're an engineer. You understand, right? We have procedures that we have to write. If you tell somebody to go put something together in an assembly, if the man reads the last page, then something's going to blow up. Well, how much more when we're dealing with the scriptures and we're hearing revelation for the first time should we start at the right end of the book. And this Bereans, man, they showed us how to get this done. So we think this is a pretty darn good model, Paul, to follow. And we we are endeavoring to do the exact same with our engagement from Sunday. We are going to start in nowhere else but the book of Genesis. Somebody say Genesis. Genesis. And what you'll find out is as we go to the book of Genesis, it is going to help us gain further clarity on what we heard on Sunday with some very practical application. Amen. What's the title of the message tonight? The Servant. So we're going to give you some homework tonight. Read all of Genesis 24 on your own time. It's good. But praise God, we're going to give you some good things that we glean from Genesis 24 as well. It is a special story. And the more that we dug into it, the more we saw the gospel story in its totality. And it, it was just melting our hearts. It was causing us to cry out to the Lord to help make this revelation known to us, to make it deeper inside of us so that we can teach it to others. 
So our goal is not to teach through all the verses, but to display the manifold wisdom of God and how he has been telling the same story from the very beginning. The characters in Genesis 24 and the shadows and types that will be highlighted during our time together will help us see very clearly everything we have heard from Sunday and that three-point slide that we showed earlier. So we're going to pick up in verse 1. Y'all ready? Somebody say the servant. All right. Abraham was, was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Notice here, Abraham, he's at the end of his life, and he's calling his most senior servant, a trusted man, to go get a bride for his son. That's no small task, is it? So a couple things we want to note right away in the plain reading of the text. The father of the household is Abraham. The son of the house is Isaac. Also true. The servant of the house is nameless. Very true. And there's a bride-to-be, unknown at this point in the story, if you're reading it for the first time. But from the same house as the father and the son. The bride must be from the same house as the father and the son. So truth be told, if you're reading Genesis 24 for the very first time, you already have your homework of what you need to do this week. You would know by this point in your reading the following. Abraham is the man with the promise from God. And although the servant is part of the house, the promise was given to Abraham and to Abraham's son. Okay. You should probably say that one more time. Yeah, this this is key. Abraham is the man with the promise from God. And although the servant is part of the house, the promise was given to Abraham and to Abraham's son. So the reason we're making this distinction regarding the servant and his position in the house is not to undermine the servant's role within the house, but rather to magnify and to draw your attention to the servant's role within the house. See, we learn in Genesis chapter 24 that the servant is actually fully committed to Abraham. And when you think about the caliber and the man of God that Abraham is, right, think about him leaving in Genesis 12. Think about his interactions 13 and 14. And now we're all the way in, in chapter 24. The man who laid down his son in chapter 22, and God says, I will bless you. And I'll cause your descendants to be like the stars in the sky. And because you listen to my voice, that's the caliber of the man we're talking about here in Abraham. Think about that caliber. Think about that backdrop. Think about that character sketch. And then think about what it means for him to pick this servant to do the very task that he's asking him to do. Think about the servant. Think about the caliber of the servant. Think about the servant being a faithful and and being trustworthy enough to accomplish this task of getting a bride for his master's son. This is not like, hey, man, go cut me some grass and then bring it back. That's not what he's asking the servant to do. He's asking him to do something that is monumental, that is in in step with the plan that God gave Abraham since Genesis 12, and he's picked this servant because the servant has shown that he has character to be able to perform this task. Yeah. That's a lot of trust, isn't it? Yeah. So we're going to fast forward in the story, and there's one more thing that we wanted to point out before, and that is this. Very important. The servant 
has no relationship to the bride. In fact, he has no idea who the bride is. And the only way that he knows that a bride exists and, and he is being tasked to go find her is solely because of the relationship with the father and the son. Wow. Did y'all got all that? It was a bit of a mouth. I'm not going to say the whole thing again. I'll, I'll, I'll break it down Barney style for you. Okay? He has no relationship to the bride. All right? The only thing that connects him to the bride is the fact that he's been tasked by his master to go and get the bride for his son. He has relationship with the father and with the son. Okay. So you're putting it together, LCM. And if you haven't already caught on, you are the servant. Somebody say, I am the servant. I am the servant. So if you're reading Genesis 24 as a Gentile for the very first time, you would never come away with the fact that somehow the servant is the centerpiece of the entire story. In fact, what is more likely to happen is that as a Gentile, you would probably be inspired by this servant who is showing loyalty and fidelity to the household of Abraham. This would immediately clue you in on your role as a Gentile who has now experienced the salvation that has come from Abraham's household. So just a couple more quick things. This servant is in Abraham's household, which means he, is, he does get to experience the promises, the covenants that God has made with Abraham because he belongs to Abraham. He's a circumcised man, but he's a Gentile. He's a servant within Abraham's house. So by the time we pick up in verse 33, the following has already taken place. The servant made it to Abraham's homeland. Praise God. Praise the Lord. The servant discovers supernaturally that the bride-to-be, uh, who the bride-to-be is because of his dependency on Adonai. There's an immediate joy and gratitude displayed by the servant in his worship to Adonai when he realizes what he prayed for to the God of his master came to be. The servant faithfully testifies to all he has received from Abraham and gives the bride gifts. And the servant is now standing before the bride's family. So let's pick up in verse 33. Check this out. Verse 33 says, then food was set before him. But he said, somebody said, he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. Man, we love the servant. It's even more beautiful that he's nameless. It gives us a, something to shoot for so we don't have our name in the lights. This servant is incredible, LCM. We love the fact that there is zero, not a zilch, nothing, no selfish ambition in this servant. Notice that he doesn't pat himself on the back or reward himself for the great distance he traveled to find the bride. Instead, he is completely focused on the mission, and he has his master's best interest in mind. I, I mean, listen, man, I, I leave church. Let me, let me say this. It takes me about seven minutes to get home. Between church and home, I get hungry. Does anybody get hungry? Yeah, Adam says he gets hungry. This guy didn't travel seven minutes down the street, right? He traveled a great distance. And now he's found the bride. He's supernaturally prayed to the God of heaven. And he's found the bride. And now they're like, hey, you should, you should probably eat something. 
Listen, this man refuses to eat until he is said why he is there in the first place. He does not consider the mission completed just because he found the bride. And he certainly doesn't insert himself or exalt himself in a place of honor during this process. Really, Elsie, what we're really trying to say is he didn't have the what about me complex. Oh, the what about me complex. The what about me complex. Right. Y'all know what it is. <laughs> you know what it is. We know that you know what it is because we've been interacting with y'all throughout this week as you've been engaging with the sermon from Sunday. If you're getting tripped up, you might have a little bit of the what about me complex inside of you. We're going to unpack that thought for a minute as we consider what may oppose the servant from fulfilling his mission in the appointed time. The father's at home. He's the, the father didn't, Abraham didn't go with him. The son is at home. Isaac didn't go with him. The bride-to-be and her family are hearing this news for the very first time. So put yourself in the servant's shoes because you are the servant. And you're the one who's facilitating this. You're the one who is being a mediator to help this bride come to be with the groom and to fulfill the master's cause. The servant's involvement in the process is because of his relationship to the father and to the groom. If you're thinking about this and his love for the master, he prayed. He did exactly what the master showed him. He said, I'm not going to eat anything. I will not move forward without letting you know why I'm here, what I'm here to accomplish. But put yourself in his sandals. If that was you, would you want, would you have some of that what about me complex? What can I get out of this? My master's not even here right now. He's not, maybe, maybe, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen of him. Maybe he doesn't know what's going to happen of me. I don't know if I'm going to be fully successful. We've had these thoughts. I know that you've had these thoughts. I know that this is what is, is keeping the full revelation from penetrating your heart. But praise God, we're going to get it tonight. So if you're the servant, which you are, and you're having a hard time accepting the message from Sunday, could it be that there's some hidden motives of what your reward should be? I mean, that's what came up as I searched my own heart. Although it may not seem obvious to some, there is a spiritual warfare that is taking place against the revelation and the mission that the servant in this story has. In fact, in Genesis 24, 7, Abraham tells the servant an angel will be sent ahead of him to help him be successful. Have you ever thought about that as you're reading the story? Why does an angel need to go ahead of him? He's just going to get a bride. Why does an angel need to go ahead to make his way successful? That's interesting, isn't it? You may be thinking, really? What's wrong with a meal? In and of itself, nothing, right? He's presented with a meal, and he's like, nope, I'm not going to eat anything. Look, there's a temptation here for the servant to draw attention and focus on his needs rather than completing the mission. There are various levels of spiritual warfare so it's not always right in your face, okay? There, there are several times throughout this interaction and engagement between uh, the servant and Laban and Bethuel and their family that you can sense there's some opposition. There's something there. It may not quite be sinful or obvious, but there's something there that seems to be hindering the completion of this, mis- this mission. Sometimes it is a slight variance to the revelation you've been given that causes you to have the complex of 
What about me and my needs? But Abraham's servant, he did not have this at work in his life. He is a stellar example of how to do this properly. There is zero sense of entitlement in the way he conducts his affairs. Isn't this incredible? I love what Paul said that, you know, spiritual warfare is not always in your face. It's easy when a demon manifests. That's it's pretty straightforward. Um, it's, it's easy when somebody just blatantly says things that are just against the word of God. That's not clearly what's happening here in Genesis 24. In fact, they're like, they heard the servant tell the story of, of his interaction with Abraham and what he has done to get there in the supernatural way that God provided and how he found Rebecca. And they said, no, this is clearly the Lord. This is, this is Yahweh God doing this. This is Adonai doing this. The temptation is for the servant to draw attention to his own needs rather than actually completing the mission. Man, I'm famished. Man, I'm tired. I deserve a reward. We want to encourage you that that, that slight variance when, you're, when we're receiving a revelation here in this body, when you're hearing a revelation for the first time, there's a slight variance to just somehow compromise and put the attention on yourself. That's why we're going over this tonight. This servant is a fantastic example of how to hear from the Father, take a command from the Father, have a revelation from the Father, and not stop until he completes the revelation and the mission that he's been given. LCM, there's spiritual warfare happening in our midst. Ever since we've been talking more about Israel being the bride of Christ, and Israel is, all kind of things are happening. So we want to encourage you guys to awaken to the spiritual warfare that is all around us and to know that there are principalities and there are powers that are fighting and working against the revelation that we've been given. The revelation that Israel is the bride of Christ. The revelation that the church is the first fruit of the Israeli bride that will come in fully at the national salvation of Israel. And lastly, that our mysterious inclusion in the church is based upon our relationship to the Israeli groom and his body. LCM, we have to awaken. We have to rouse ourselves, Cody. We have to rouse ourselves like 1 Peter 5 that says to be alert and to be sober because your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. The word of God says we have to resist him. So LCM, we're telling you to resist the urge and the temptation to allow subtleties which may seem innocent but are truly sinister in nature. Right? So we want to tell you guys some things to look out for as you're engaged in the spiritual warfare. Resist the urge to go straight to the Newer Testament when you are hearing a revelation from the Word for the very first time. Instead, start in the Tanakh and then work your way forward. LCM, resist the urge that you were, resist the urge when you're referring to the church that your mind is not immediately thinking about the Gentile church. Instead, your speech should be, we are the Gentile portion of the Israeli church. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. LCM, resist the urge of being prideful about your inclusion in the church. Instead, be humble, humble yourselves and display gratitude that you get to be a part of God's holistic plan for his bride. So in your own time, check out verse 56 of Genesis 24. You'll find out that the servant encounters more resistance to completing his mission to the point that he tells them, do not delay me. Yeah, come on. Do not hinder me. Do not cause me to hesitate. Do not cause me to procrastinate yeah. is what that word in the Hebrew means. Come on. Let's be alert, LCM. Let's be alert in our day and time 
because we are not unaware of the enemy's schemes. We need to fight to protect this revelation in every area of our lives because it will directly affect your marriage, your parenting, and how you work in a team. Saints, if you've been rightly engaging with the truths of the message from Sunday, you are experiencing spiritual warfare. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but I know that you are because I'm experiencing it. And that, this is because what we have received is something that is precious. It's something that is going to help us walk out our faith as a community. You've been hearing about the expansion that's happening. We've got to get this down inside of us right now. Amen. So before we leave Genesis 24, there's one more thing we wanted to highlight that is truly spectacular. And it's insightful, and it comes from verse 64. Y'all check this out. We'll pick up in Genesis 24, 64. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. Did anybody catch that? The servant refers to Isaac as his master. Okay. I don't think they got it yet. Look, go to, you read Genesis 24 in your own time, and you'll find out that the word master shows up 17 times in Genesis chapter 24. And that's 16 out of the 17 times that master shows up and is being used, the servant is referring to Abraham. Wow. The 17th time is here in verse 65. And the servant refers to Isaac as his master. The reason the servant can say that Isaac is his master is because he understood that everything that belonged to the father also belonged to the son. LCM, this is incredible. The Lord's been telling the same story since the very beginning. We see the shadows and the types. And when Jesus says in John 17 that me and the Father were one, he looks at Philip in John 14 and says, hey, haven't, has it been so long, Philip, that I've been with you that you don't realize that when you see me, you've seen the Father? The Lord's been laying down this groundwork for many, many years. What's even more beautiful in this is that the servant's relationship with Rebecca, which initially started when he first met her, will now be completed now that she has met her groom. This is beautiful. We were, we, were, we were talking about this, and even just now, Paul, as you were reading earlier, Paul mentioned that in verse, I think, 56, he tells the family, do not delay me, right? I think they wanted her to stay about 10 more days, Pastor Judah. He said, do not delay me. What happens? He was like, you know what? I am tired. My eyelids are heavy. Okay, 10 more days. You know what happens? She never meets Isaac in the field. If he delayed her, him bringing the bride to the groom, this encounter right here in, in Genesis 24, verse 66 and 65 never happens. Elsim, how important is it to not put ourselves in the center of the revelation, it's but everything. to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves and to rightly know our place within the house, and it is our job to bring the Israeli bride to the Israeli groom. That's right. So knowing what we now know from Genesis chapter 24, and certainly it's not all that we could possibly teach or go over, we simply wanted you guys to know and to get a glimpse of what your role as the servant is and the ever-increasing humility that is needed as Gentiles who love Adonai and how to serve God's people. Yeah. So as you're making your way to the Newer Testament, you can do that now. Yeah. 
So I'll turn to Acts chapter 10. We want to show you another example of a Gentile whose love for Adonai put him in direct contact with the bride of Christ and the first fruit of the bride. We're going to pick up in chapter 1. Say the servant when you get there. The servant. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So notice, Cornelius has a relationship with the Father, with Adonai. In verses 36 through 38 of this same chapter, Peter infers that Cornelius is well aware of all the things that happened in Jerusalem and Judea regarding Christ, who is the groom. Cornelius is primed to be included into the Israeli church established by the Jewish apostles. We want to note that in verse 22, it says that Cornelius is an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. We can't get into every scripture in this passage, but y'all are good Bible students, and you'll remember from our foundation study in Acts chapter 10 that there is a supernatural working in both the Jew and the Gentile simultaneously. Should see some hints of what's going on, what we read from Genesis 24 as well. Cornelius had a vision of an angel that terrified him. Peter goes into a trance and has a vision that rearranges his whole way of thinking. Again, there's a significant supernatural aspect to this because there is uh, a spiritual opposition that would try to stop this from happening. What does Cornelius do in this story? Cornelius humbles himself. He bows down before Peter when Peter comes to his doorstep and Peter's like, hey, get up, man. I'm a man as well. I'm a man. I'm a servant as well. Get up. But, but Cornelius had, had the, the wherewithal of, man, this is a Jew coming to my house. This is someone that the Lord, Adonai, promised was going to come my, to my house and help me understand what it is that I'm actually devoted to. Man, Cornelius has, the, has humbled himself and joyfully gathers his family and his close friends together to hear the message from Peter. Think about that. We're talking about an Italian uh, commander, a centurion, who is ruling over the people of Israel. And he gathers his family together and humbles himself, not to say, hey, look at what I've been doing, Peter. I've devoted myself to your God. I've been praying to your God. I've given to the poor amongst your people. He doesn't do that. He welcomes Peter in to teach him because he knows he must be taught about the first fruits of the bride through Peter. This is truly beautiful. Cornelius has a right relationship with the father, which then puts him in direct relationship and contact with the bride of Christ and the first fruit, the Israeli church. See, his right relationship with the father showed that he was a devout man. He also knows the groom, but he's getting ready to be taught by the first fruit of the bride through Peter. Talk about humility. Yes. Talk about the, the inner conversations he's having with his family members. And I'm sure none of them really fully understood what was happening. But he gathered his entire family and says, hey, this is absolutely worth it. Whatever this man says to us, we have no idea what he's going to say. But whatever he says is exactly what we need. Yeah. Talk about pastoring your family well, Pastor Come Nick. On, Talk about leading your flock well. 
Check out Acts chapter 10, verse 33. So this is speaking, and this is Cornelius speaking. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Elsim, this is the sort of humility that is needed in our lives. A genuine meekness must be the response to the revelation that we are receiving. To, to, to the one that receives from the Lord, much more be given to that man because that man receives it humbly. Later on in verse 34, uh, later on in verse 34 through 43, we learn that Peter, who is a Jew, is explaining to Cornelius, a Gentile, God's plan for the first fruits, the church, the Israeli church, who are in relationship with the groom. And we were talking about this in the back that, Paul, if you and I were there, if we were Cornelius, the hard posture that we would have is teach us what the word says. Teach us about your family plan. Teach us about God's manifold wisdom and what he is going to do through you guys. And it was a mystery that you and I could ever be included into that. Yeah. I mean, hear this. And, and where we started off in talking about the illusion of the first time and being completely separated before coming into Christ. You don't know anything. You don't know where to turn. Yeah. You, you have a devotion to God, but you need to understand what is that devotion founded upon? What does this mean for me and my family? Yeah. And so there's a humility there that says, teach me. I need to know what you know. I need to know because this Yeshua Messiah is your Yeshua Messiah. He comes from your people. All of this commotion that's happening in Jerusalem and Judea is because of your king, your Messiah. And I've devoted myself to God, but I'm a Gentile. I need to know how do I fit into this. There's a humility that must be there. Look, as they're hearing the message, Peter is still speaking and the Holy Spirit falls on them. Come on, man. The Father stamps his approval on the Jew and the Gentile coming together by baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. The circumcised are standing there amazed. They don't know what's happening. It's a mystery to them. And they're witnessing what they've experienced happen to those who were once far off, who were once separated. They're seeing it happen. What do you think that, how do you think that made Cornelius and his family feel? They humbled themselves to receive the message, and God affirmed it by baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. Church, it is beautiful that both the servant from Genesis 24 and Cornelius have right relationship with the father and the groom, and they both experience interactions with the bride. In Cornelius's case, the first fruit of the church and the bride simultaneously through Peter. What a fantastic model that we're supposed to follow it should inspire us of what we're supposed to do in our day and time. If you've heard anything of what we're saying tonight, we're telling you, don't get caught up in trying to make a, your own distinction of what the bride should be and what the church should be. We're telling you, you're a Gentile. This is how the Gentile engages within the church that is Israeli and how and, and the connection is because of the relationship to the Israeli groom, that is Jesus. So as we're, we're making our way to a close, we want you to rouse yourself tonight. We want you to dial into these final passages that we have for you and listen to this direct quote from King Yeshua on how we servants are supposed to perform our duties in a way that is honoring to the king.
So check out Luke chapter 17, picking up in verse 7. And this is the king himself speaking. And the NIV says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing and looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he, would he rather say, won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? And after that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Come on. Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. You know what? If this servant that Jesus is talking about is anything like the servant from Genesis 24, he wasn't going to eat anyway. Because he knew that there was still work to do. Get yourself ready. In some versions it says, prepare yourself. Get yourself dressed. What does that sound like? Put on righteous deeds. Put on good works. Prepare yourself to serve the groom. To serve the bride. To serve your master. This is part of my family banner. So of course I'm fired up about it. This is, a, this is a scripture we go back to constantly in our home and how we are to engage with one another as husband and wife, as how we are to engage with our children and showing them what it looks like to serve with our team living in our home and how we serve them selflessly. And we say we are unworthy servants only doing our duty. If we have that attitude, we are constantly realigning our hearts and motives to, to align with God's heart and what his motives are. One last thing about this verse. This is Jesus talking, isn't it? Yeah. Yes? Yes. Let's go to Luke twenty two twenty seven. Say the servant when you get there. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Who is greater, church? <laughs> is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. This is what you must know, what you must practice. Your relationship to the groom and how you rightly relate to the bride is based on following his example. Serving as he served. If this is true about our king, who is Israel's king first, that he is the one who serves, then how much more is it true about us? As the Gentile portion who have been mysteriously grafted in because of our relationship with him. Saints, we got one more scripture as we're closing this message out. And we're going to go to where the pastors closed out on Sunday. But as you're thinking about this, while we're going to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. There is a great opposition to what God is doing in our house. There is an innate desire within us in our carnal flesh that wants to think about how we should be rewarded. What does it mean for us? And it takes our mind from serving rightly. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given me In opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. 
Paul, he's saying, pray for me. I've been doing this a long time. Everything that you know is because of what I taught you. But pray for me that I should proclaim this message, this mystery that is so greatly opposed that you must have spiritual armor on. Pray for me that I proclaim it boldly as I ought to. Can you feel his heart there? Yes. Can you feel what he's going through? He knows this message must be perpetuated. This message of the Jew and Gentile working together as first fruits in the church to prepare the bride for the groom that's coming back, it must be proclaimed, and it is greatly opposed. Now is the time to get our prayer life right, praying in the Spirit on all occasions. Now is the time to be alert and sober praying and warring on behalf of your brothers and sisters in this body and in the one association of churches. And now is the time to fulfill our role as the Gentile portion of the Israeli church, boldly proclaiming the mystery of the gospel as we should. You guys go ahead and stand to your feet. It was rather a challenge for us to work through Genesis chapter 24, and we really do mean for you guys to go back and read all 66 verses. It is truly fantastic. Also take some time to read through Acts chapter 10 and see how God has been laying down this revelation for a long time. LCM, demand of yourself to receive the messages you are hearing with great eagerness, just like the Bereans, and discipline to search out the scriptures starting from the right end of the book. Yeah. Humble yourselves, remembering that you were once far off without God and without hope. LCM, eliminate the allowance for subtle, subtle deceitful thoughts that you are the center and the focus of God's plan. That, that might be the most important one on the list. I know it is for me. I, eliminate the allowance for subtle, deceitful thoughts that you are the focus. They're not loud and boisterous. It's this little itching thought inside of your head that, but if Israel's the bride and Israel's the first fruits of the church, and, and what does this mean for me? I'm the Gentile inclusion. I'm just out here doing nothing. You shouldn't even be focused on that. You knew nothing to begin with. Before we move right on, think about the servant from Genesis chapter 24. The man fulfilled his duty. He already had a right relationship with the father, with the groom, meets the bride, starts off with that, starts that relationship. The relationship with the bride is completed after she meets her groom. What kind of reward do you think that servant received from the father and the groom? Like, Think about the weight and magnitude of that. He did everything that the Father's heart desired. Elson, that's what's in store for us, is to be pleasing to the Father, to be pleasing to the groom, to make sure that his Israeli bride meets him on that day. Serve selflessly, eradicating all carnal desires for recognition. Saints, I'm, I'm a man that can put my head down and just keep doing task after task after task and work hard. I can do it. I can serve. I love to serve y'all in any capacity, but I would be lying if I said I didn't want some recognition in that. I'd be lying if I said there weren't some motives there of, is anybody, is anybody going to see this? Does anybody else notice? 
I'm preaching a message and I'm losing my voice. Those kinds of little thoughts that creep up, I'm telling you right now, learn to serve selflessly. Let that produce a gratitude and a determination for the groom to get the bride that he desires. As you are going through those points, let it produce the same gratitude that that servant had when he recognized, I am on the way to accomplishing the mission for which I set forth. He, he got down and bowed down before the God of his master, and he worshiped him, and he was joyful, and he said, don't let anything hold me back. Don't let anything delay me from finishing this of presenting the bride to the groom. Saints, we need gratitude. We need a determination. We need a joy that we get to participate. For some in the room, as you're preparing your heart for what you must do with this message, there may still be a shock factor that God's holistic plan is not about you. Repentance is the cure to begin regeneration of your heart. Develop your personal devotion to the Father and you will be secure in your role as part of the church, the body of Christ. For those who are awakening to these truths, like it's new and you're, and you're grabbing it and you want to believe, do not be snared by the hidden motives that will strip you of the actual reward that you have in Christ as you serve him faithfully. To the ones who are embracing this message with great eagerness, Devote yourselves to studying the scriptures diligently so that you may continue to stand secure. And in all of this, pray in the spirit. Saints, as you join with us in praying that we get this revelation deep within our hearts and proclaim it boldly as we should. Don't hold anything back. What the spirit is highlighting that you must repent of. What the spirit is highlighting of what you must do that you didn't know before, but now you know. Set it deep within your heart. Devote yourself and follow through with action tonight. Be that servant, a worthy servant, a faithful servant, a trustworthy servant that you are called to be. As I begin to pray, do what you must. Father, we are grateful to be a part of your plan. Lord, let gratitude and joy well up inside of our heart. Lord, let a conviction be set within us that we will be the servants that you have called us to be. Lord, that we were without hope and we were without God. And Lord, you have brought us in. Jesus, it was through you that that we were able to come in, that we were able to participate in this revelation that we've now received, God. Let us not boast in it. Let us not be prideful about it, Lord. Let us not be focused on what does it mean for us. But Lord, that we would be those servants who say, We are unworthy. We are only doing what we were told. And God, that we would recommit ourselves to it again tonight. Again, to serve you faithfully. But to serve you because we had no place. And you grafted us and you brought us in, Lord. Help us to rightly relate to you, Jesus. And to rightly relate to the bride that you desire.